Welcome to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. All right. This week's influencer guest is Ben, none other than my friend, uh, Ben Zolden, co-founder of Story Leaders. And Story Leaders has a really impressive mission. They've worked with Salesforce, Oracle, HP Enterprise, and a whole number of accounts, and really helping companies build what we call, or what they call an all-in culture. And they have me using that word now, like whenever I'm talking, are you all in? And so we're going to really learn about Take an Initiative and how people can work together to really build uh, client loyalty, but also uh, loyalty within the brand. So super cool, and I am so excited. So please give us uh, Influence Factory. Welcome to Ben Zolden. Ben, how you doing? Yo, Dean. All What's in. up? All in. Welcome. What, is, what does that mean to you, all in? Welcome, welcome from California. Uh, <laughs> well, welcome from Chicago to California and back. How's that? All right, good. What does all in mean to you? Yeah, for me, um, it means that I'm uh, I'm committed. I, you know, so it's not like I have one foot out, one foot in. It means that anything that I've done is really uh, just you know all in. And I thought about you know when you and I first met and we were talking about this, and Jimmy goes, "Hey, hey, another drummer." He saw your drum kit in the back, so uh, we have a few drummers that are in our audience uh, all the time here. So good to see you, Jimmy. So with what that. When I play the drums, it's my biggest vulnerability, and I I'm never all in, and after because I'm so insecure about it. Because right. and I play with these guys who are really good musicians, and I don't know if anybody else is like that. But when you do something new that you haven't done in a while, like play tennis or basketball, you kind of go out there and you're like, oh, I'm rusty. Ah, oh, just you know, don't give me the ball, or I might not hit the ball back to you. Or if you're playing a you know an instrument, that's how I am when I play the drums. And what I realize is we do that, like I do that, to lower the expectations so I'm not putting myself out there. So if I do suck, it's like I kept the bar low, right? But then I just realized that's my own insecurities and I'm just thinking about me and I have to remind myself, like that to me is a metaphor for being all, like not a metaphor, it's literal. Like we're, it's so easy to not be all in. We just keep the bar low and play it safe. Yeah, well, right. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I grew up on the streets and you and I have had a ton of discussion about this. And as Edith says, having skin in the game. So I think about, uh, I was thinking about martial arts and my, uh, and, and I went back and my sensei used to talk about this and, and used to talk about, you know, when, when we, so when you're in the ring and you're, you're face to face in front of somebody and you're getting ready to spar, it's literally, they yell, ja. And so that means go, you know, so in, in Japanese, so, so now all of a sudden you've got like, ja, get ready to go. Right. So there's no, like, there's no, like, you're not half fighting, half not fighting. You are all in committed to take the other person out so that you can come out on top and the, and the greater good is served. So, so when we were talking about that, I'm like, wow, 
that would be like ja. You know, it's like yeah. when you say ja, it's like or when you come into work or you, you know, you go home to your family, are you all in for your family or are you thinking about work and thinking about all the cha-cha and the, the crap you can't control in the world and then you're not with your family, which I had to work on for years and still work on about being all in at work when I'm at work and all in in my family when I'm with the family. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. I was uh, traveling on a business trip for like five days and it's, and you know, being gone, it's, you know, I fall into the trap of not being present because I'm missing my family, my girls, and I'm, I'm on a jog in the morning with like a group of three people that I was working with and I was running next to this colleague of mine and I was like, well, aren't you, it was a Friday and we're all flying home later that afternoon. I was like, don't you miss, like, aren't you excited to get home? And she said, uh, like, don't you miss your kids? Like, because we were talking about our kids. And I'll never forget it. She goes, actually, I'm here with you right now. And it just kind of like floored me. Like, and then I was thinking, okay, if I'm with her in that moment, but thinking about my kids, am I with her in that moment? And I was in Washington, D.C. at 6 a.m. running around the monuments, which to me is like, right? Can be like this magical, magical experience. And if I'm not present in that moment, because I'm thinking about my kids, which we should be because they're my everything, but then I'll go home and I'm training my brain to not be present. I probably won't be present with them. I'm not all in. I'm, I'm not all in. So last night, you let me riff here? Yeah, go, man. All right, so last night I'm driving. I live in, in L.A. near Hollywood, and I was driving to Santa Monica to go have dinner with my daughter. And it's about a 45-minute drive, and I'm listening on, on NPR to a really cool interview with this musician, this woman who, like, kind of indie. I don't even know her name, but really bitching. And then she was talking about her vulnerabilities, and she said, you know something? You know, writing music is this really vulnerable thing to me, but I'm a I'm, – this is what I love. And she goes, every time I write music, I'm thinking about like, what always comes up for me is my fear of rejection. And that's, that's my biggest vulnerability. And every time I feel that fear of rejection, I lean into it. Like I know that's where the magic is, is that fear of rejection. So I don't know. It's just interesting that you bring up all being all in. Um, Yeah. And, and well, and I had a coach, uh, I still have a coach uh, that, that is really, you know, tough on me. And, um, and, and as I was working through some things, I'm like, well, you know, uh, you know, he, I, I would always be dealing with the fear because growing up on the streets and things like that and having a childhood where all of a sudden you have everything and things are taken away from you multiple times. You just expect that you're like on this defense, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, someone's coming to take my shit at any moment. You know, it's like you get that. And it becomes part of who you are, and it takes a while to unwind that. So, so now, um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm talking to him, and I'm like, "Well, there, you know, I still have fear that gets in the way." And he stands up, and he's like screaming at me. He's like, the, "You know," he goes, "Your problem is you see fear as the enemy." He goes, "When fear comes up, you need to see that as an opportunity and embrace it full on and go at it, whatever that fear is." And to, from that moment on, I will catch myself and go, "Wow." okay, what's the opportunity here? Okay, I'm afraid. What's the opportunity here? You know, wh- where can we really take this, whatever it is, to the next level? So sort of curious how that resonates with you. The idea of fear? Well, I'm a Jew from the Valley. So like, I'm the, 
I'm neurotic. I have like the greatest fears. If you're flying next to me, I might be grabbing like your arm instead of the hand, you know, the armrest next to me. Um, but so I'm no like authority on like, I think there's this myth. I was talking to uh, a new friend of mine who was a former army ranger. And what he said was the myth is that in, in our line of work that we're fear, we're fearless. That could be farther from the truth. It's how we manage fear. So now when I think about my fears, you know, I still have fears. You know, I grew up in sales. I grew up, um, you know, knocking on doors. And I was just thinking about this the other day. I never, I don't know if anybody else has this, but, or experiences, but I really thrived in sales, like from, from day one. But there was, not a, there was not an instance where I had like a meeting, a sales call, where I would not go to the waiting room and wait for the person to come out to greet me. And I would sit there and I'd be like, I hope the person calls in sick. I hope the person's not going to come out. You know, I hope I, I would literally get nauseous right. like, every single time it would happen. And, and then the person would come out and greet me. And after about 30 seconds, those, those molecules would go away and everything would be cool. And, and it's still, I've never gotten over that. But what I have been able to do is recognize the molecules. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And um, and uh, Rick Rick says be you all the time, and that's all in. And I really I want to give a shout out to Kelly here, who talked about a TED talk by um, Breen Brown that talks about the studies of vulnerability and being present. Those are some good TED talks. I've seen those. So um, so real quick, um, who was um, who was the lead singer of Fleetwood Mac? Uh, Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the name. I can't. The woman. Of yeah, woman. Um, Come on, that's a contest. Whoever the Stevie Nicks. So Jim Catalano gets a Starbucks gift card. Sorry, Kate. I know you were one second off. Uh, so anyway, Stevie Nicks would talk about the fact that before she went on stage, she had that exact same feeling you had, you know, mm -hmm. and she would like get nauseous and sick, and sometimes he, uh, actually you know, hurl right before the show. And then she would sort of work to get it out of her system. And then once she got out there, she was all in with the crowd and the band and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, they interview Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen is like, when I hear the crowd and I'm getting ready to go out, he goes, I get that feeling in my stomach and I'm so excited. I can't wait to get out there. And I run out there and I charge and I meet the crowd. I meet my band and, I, and, and he's all in, right? So there's like these two different mindsets of saying, well, when, when this presents itself, because I, I was the same way with giving talks and even today, you know, depending on the group or who I'm in front of, you know, I'll get that feeling. I'll get that feeling like what you were talking about. And then I'll be like, oh, hey, you know, this is an opportunity for me to meet new people, to know people and to express that and really be with uh, myself and, and those other people. And I think that's one of the things that... Um, uh, let's see, I think, uh, I want to say, who was that? Oh, Rick mentioned about being, not just being you, but being with yourself. And I think you said this early on. So, um, so I'm interested in, in sort of how that translates, not just to us personally, but then you actually help, uh, take this into companies, right? I look, I, I've been thinking a lot lately about the work we do. Like, why do we work, right? Sure, we have to make a living, um, but that's not it. And we know that that's obvious now, but, but business is undermining and devaluing the things that help people fully show up at work. You know, 
so many people are environments where it's not stimulating or meaningful or it's important because it's all material rewards and carrots and sticks, which undermines the very reason why we work. And I was thinking about this, like originally the way we work was we were in communities and everybody showed up and played a role. Like this just happened to me the other day. Um, so my grandfather was, um, he, he's in the, he had passed, he passed away, but he was in the hospital um, because he fell and broke his, his hip. And he was rushed to the emergency room and my uncle called me and I was like the only one in town. He's like, Ben, you got to go to Cedars. You know, grandpa's in the, you know, he fell, he's okay, but someone needs to be with him. So I spent the entire day like in the emergency room at this like full on trauma center, Cedar Sinai in the middle of LA emergency room. And I was you know, I was with him, but then I was like standing outside his room and watching everything that goes down in a crazy trauma emergency room. And there was this big gnarly situation that came in, you know, like, you know, paramedics, fire departments, the nurses, the doctors all were attending to this patient that came in and, and he was rushed into this room. I don't know what it was, but it was like code, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like in awe watching these people like do what they do. And then afterwards, like five minutes later, there was this firefighter in full gear, and he was sitting like, or standing up against the corner with like a clipboard. And he was just kind of leaning against the wall with this, and he was like filling out this like clipboard. And I can only imagine he was doing this paperwork, but he looked exhausted. It was the middle of the day and he was in his full gear, right? And he had just handled this heavy trauma situation. And I was like, so in awe of this guy. So I go up to him and I'm like, like, I don't, I just like, thank you. I don't know what I said, but it was a version of that. Like I was so in awe of, of this man and he looked at me and he didn't even flinch, didn't change his body language. He was like tired, you know, standing up against the wall and he goes, Hey man, I'm just doing my part. And like, I don't remember what I said, but I was like, whoo, it was like whoosh. And I was like thinking like, like, just, like there was a time where everybody was doing their part. And yet, are, are the environments that we foster, like homie was all in, like make no, but I, but why are certain people all in? Like I'm watching recently the, uh, you know, because it's the 50th anniversary of the Apollo missions. Right. If any, I mean, these documentaries are on CNN or PBS and I was watching the series on PBS and it is mind blowing how a group of people were all, all in with a mission and each other and everybody on those teams showed up like people don't even know the teams that were assembled by you know these 21 year old mathematicians from the school that had nothing to do with nasa were identified to come help contribute to this thing over here and like everybody was all in for the mission and those people were not in it for material gains right and they were not in it for the dough and everybody 50 years later is reflecting on it and what it takes to be on a mission to go to the moon together. And then I'm thinking about the firefighter. And then I'm thinking about the work we do and the corporate environments we set up that are operating from this playbook that don't celebrate the most intrinsic things that like govern our souls, which is being stimulated, being part of something, working for something that's important. And then we wonder why people are not all in. It's these paradigms are stupid. They're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years old. They come from the factory assembly line, you know, carrots and sticks and monetary gain. And then we wonder why people are deprived of meaning and then they don't show up in our corporate lives and people don't fully show up. And I think it's like, you know, 
I think what we're doing, I think I was thinking what the problem is. Why aren't we fully showing up? Why are people not like, I'm doing my part? You know how badass that is? And I don't know if they're what kind of people you have on, on and that are listening. I love what I do. Right. Like, I'm all yeah. in. I yeah. know I know that I, I love what I do. Like, this is a labor of love because I suck at what I do. <laughs> I signed up for something that I know, it, or, you know, I'm like you. I grew up on the streets for the most part. Like, I'm not on the streets, but I felt like I did. And I built up this armor and I built up this, you know, this world where I thought you, you grow up and you put on the armor and you, you know, you show up. Go to battle. Yeah. Go to battle. And it's this like caveman testosterone, caveman meat eating, you know, (laughs) like way of going through life. And, uh, And the things that interest me the most are ways that I'm rewiring my life because when I get it right, a few times and I can share or do things with some, you know, I wasn't all in in life. I was on the fucking sideline. Right. I remember being 13 years old at the first dance I ever went to. And literally with, it was actually with my older brother and like these older kids. So they're probably like 15, a lot cooler than I was. You know, I would, you know, I was sitting in the corner and on the very last song, I finally mustered up the courage to go like ask like this other 13 year old girl to dance. And right when I do it at the very end, the micro, the lights go on and then the DJ or whatever goes, okay, that's it for the night. I missed. I was sitting on the sideline. Right. And anyways, I share all that because I think about what you said about being all in. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. When my uh, my dad had me in Hershey, Pennsylvania, at the at the roller coaster, we were we were super young, and I'd never gone on a real big roller coaster before. And we're at the ride, and my dad's like, you know, he's like, "Come on, let's go on this thing." And you hear the clickety clack, you know, the big wooden roller coaster and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. And then we're in line, and then I'm like, I really got upset, I really got scared, and I'm like, I really don't want to go. And then, you know, he's like, okay, I'll support you either way. But you know what? Once you go, you're going to love it. And I go, I know, I just don't want to go. I don't want to do it now. We'll do it next time. So anyway, we're walking toward the exit. And I hear the people screaming and I hear everything else. And all of a sudden, I just hear people coming out of the exit of the roller coaster. And they're just laughing. They're just laughing and just going, that was the best thing ever. And I had to be like, I don't know. 12 I could bear you know I was like I was short enough to to get on the ride or whatever and then I just turned around to him and I go please can we go he goes we just got out of line like the lines like wrapped up he goes he goes I don't think you really want to go and I begged him for like 20 minutes and finally we went on and then I was addicted to roller coasters ever since so it's like the dance floor thing right it's like the minute you face that fear and you jump into that moment and then all of a sudden you're like wow you know it creates a a a place where um you can you can really uh find new fulfillment for yourself and i think cultures within companies are the same way when we all of a sudden decide that we're all working toward the same mission we're mission driven um and and now all of a sudden the job feels less like a job and more like a purpose-driven sort of whole being so we individually are doing our part but we become this whole being together does that make sense yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm getting, I'm pissed. Good. I love you when you're pissed. So, Well, I'm talking to a good friend of mine who's probably the most inspiring leader I know. And we're just talking about the work we do. And then we're talking about corporate America. And, 
you know, I get on my whole soapbox about, you know, I just think, you know, just even turning on the debates last night, like we're in short supply of leaders that really lead. What we have a lot of is people that grovel to and yeah. and go to the lowest common denominator and sign up for these kissing up. Don't even get me started. But we kiss up in corporate environments. Like we don't know how we're crushing the soul out of people's lives because we say one thing and do another. We sign up for things that are governed by this, you know, carrot and stick mentality that's not intrinsic to the things that inspire us. And then we tell our people like so-called leaders tell people out there, go find your why. Cause that's like the hot thing. Go find your purpose. And like people, like we're in these systems that like good people and bad systems can do bad things. Like, and when I say bad things, I get, you know, worst case scenario, it's like this, this, what was it, the Stanford experiment back in the fifties that, that wanted to understand how could Nazi Germany happen? How could you get so many people to do such the most horrific thing in the world? And what they studied was you could put otherwise good people in a bad system and we could get people to do anything. Wow. And, and I think about these corporate environments, Wells Fargo, how do you get, yeah. how do you get all your tellers, thousands of people to commit the same crime, the same right. fraud? And, and then you and it's, and, and it's okay. And it feels okay for them to do right. that. But I think this is really important. It's because people's behaviors, our behaviors and our actions are, are the result of the systems we design and what kind of systems are we designing? So if we take Wells Fargo, I remember the CEO is testifying in front of Congress. And they're basically like saying, how could you let this happen on your watch? And he says, I don't know, we fired 2,500 people. We identified the people that opened up all the fraudulent accounts and we fired them. I was thinking, okay, so you how, if you have three people that did it, I get it. Three bad apples, right? But we have 2,500 people, <laughs> right? And then he says, I don't know, literally, I don't know how, how anybody could you know, do that we have our values posted up at every branch. So I was like, I want to go see what these values were. So I went to, um, to their website and on their website, you know, the about us and their whatever, and then their values. And the first one was do right by your customer. The second one was like integrity, right? The same, whatever hollow words that every, every company has, but here's where it became fascinating. Then I wanted to know, okay, what are they, what are the systems they actually designed? Yes. Everybody uses the word culture. Culture is really easily understood as the rituals and practices of a community, of a group of people. So in our families, what are the rituals? Do you have dinner every night? In a company, what are the rituals? What are the things we do? Because we can say one thing, but do another. Well, the rituals and the systems they designed at Wells Fargo were over highly compensating them on when, it, when, it, when, you, when I go in with my daughter to open up a, checking account because she goes to college. I'm going in there to open up a checking account. Well, if a teller can open up three accounts, they get exponentially more cost yeah. bonus, right? Okay, so they found that people were fraudulently or just you know manipulating that. And they had training and all their training was on how to turn one account into four accounts. Right, I remember hearing about that, a buddy right? of mine. Yeah. So you say, so I just feel like, what are the things that we're actually saying and doing companies. And I'm wondering if what we're doing is creating environments where people are actually going to work fearful. Right. Cost cutting, bonuses. And like, if it's, if, if what we know, it's like all that stuff comes from this factory worker, industrial revolution, you know, hundred years ago, assembly line environment 
that gave way to all these playbooks and handbooks and leadership and MBA programs and how to like, get the spreadsheets to all line up. But like, that's not where, that doesn't inspire anybody. Yeah. And what inspires everybody, we know this. It's, it's almost like business ignores science. Right. What we now know is that what gives us purpose and meaning in the world is connection. The idea to be connected and people are like, oh, that's soft or fluffy or new age. And I live in California and I'm a tree hugger. I'm the farthest thing from that. But what I know is that these things are hardwired into us to be connected with each other, to be all their core human needs as you know, we're born with them. Yeah. There were not only are we were born with them, we've been, they've been hardwired into our DNA for the last 70,000 years. If we actually listen to the science and it's not just connection as this soft thing, it's connection to ourselves, each other and a greater purpose. Right. And I, listen, I met the most incredible guy who was a um, commanding officer of a, of a, of a uh, United States Naval uh, Navy destroyer a nuclear power destroyer. And, and he's you know, 30 years in the Navy, most incredible stories he was sharing with me. He goes, he goes, you know how you get like, you know, in businesses, there's all these silos. Like that can't happen when you have 350 people on a, on a nuclear you know, submarine or a battleship. He goes, you can't have any silos. And he talked about the rituals they put in place. The number one thing you have to create is trust and and he literally says ben you know what we have in you know on our ships i was like what he goes you can't have any secrets i was like what do you mean you can't have any secrets people have to fully know and get each other because what we've learned is that the myth is that in the military people you know believe that we're on this mission to go liberate a country or to go fight this thing that's not what inspires people what inspires people is that we galvanize around each other and it's for the person on this side of me and this side of me. It's connection with each other. And what we foster that corporate America ignores is that. That's like the operating system, the, the belief in connection, and then everything else is like software that sits upon the operating system, which is the you know commissions, process, accountability, all this stupid stuff. But we play at the superficial level. The core is do we... Do we invest and are we intentional about the operating system, which is connection? Yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it's you know, it's it, what was popping into my head is I, I grew up playing football and baseball and, and some team sports. And, you know, we do a lot of social teaming here at Social Jack. And so um, I was, you know, as, as we think about that, you know, and Edith is saying, what do we do to work around? But I love what you said about making sure that we're connected and looking out for each other. So when you're on the offensive line, you're all looking out for each other and the guys behind you so they can move the ball forward and score. Well, sales and business is, is no different. There's business objectives, but if you're not collectively working together, those silos are are toxic because now all of a sudden you have people that are working in those silos and now these people are moving ahead and these people are left behind and then even more toxicity happens within that environment. Right. But we think like we, but everybody talks about this. We just have it wrong. The paradigm's wrong. It's talking to, you know, everybody thinks, okay, we're going to solve this problem by having process, accountability, blah, like, you know. Yeah. Like that's really magical. No, that's, that's, that's force. That's your carrot and stick 
piece. That's it, the same shit. I was talking to a friend of mine who works for the, the nation's largest healthcare system. And she handles um, you know, information technology and informatics. So she's helping the, this hospital, you know, this, they have like whatever, four or 500 hospitals. And there's a lot of work to be done in that industry to integrate and create data analytics and integration. And that's what she does. And she goes around from hospital to hospital, making sure that all the administrators and physicians are all using the systems. And she said, she called me one day, she, she came back from this trip to this one of the big hospitals. And she said, she just called me venting. I was like, what's going on? She's like, I'm so pissed. And she went on to say, you know, the CEO of this one hospital was just like not on board and there's just no accountability, no accountability. We need more accountability. We need no more accountability. And I was listening to her and I got it. And, and I don't remember how the conversation ended, but like a couple days later we chatted again. And I was just wondering like, do we need to like, are we dealing with the symptom or the core? Like, is it accountability that's a problem or something else missing in our environments? And when I think about being all in, like being all in with each other, do people have the freedom and the expression to be empowered, to be creative, to have a voice? And to tell the truth. To tell the truth. Well, because you said no secrets. And I think that's the problem. You know, Edith is, is talking about, you know, um, about, you know, what can we do to fix this? I think you know, we need to get honest and tell the truth. And I think people are, are trapped in that fear. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to be the next one cut. I'm expendable. But then you're in the wrong workplace. Go somewhere else. It's like, it's, if, it's, if it's not all in and you're ready to be all in on your career, then you need to find another place. That's, that's my message. You know, you know, I was thinking about what's preventing us and how we got here. And I was thinking like, we just, we have a, we have a, I don't know, a, a crisis of leadership, a crisis of right. creativity. And, and I don't even think that's the problem. I think, you know, the, the real villain here is this paradigms, you know, these, these beliefs and ideas that govern us. And uh, I was working, you know, with, um, with Salesforce for a number of years. And I really dig that company. You know, they have this at the origins, the DNA of that company come from this really, I believe, altruistic at its core. I mean, they're a big company, so maybe it's not as, exposes it once was but this really ohana aloha family community spirit storytelling right authenticity i, I believe it's there like yeah, woven nice. into the fabric and i was working with this company and one of the you know one of the leaders um brought me in to work with his with his team and i, I started to get this to know this guy frank and i i really um i really got to know him and, and really love this guy frank started to work with his with his team and you know, my work's all about storytelling. If we could create real storytelling, like nothing is more transformative in the world. Authentic storytelling. Real storytelling, not this bullshit, how do we woo people and, and sell more wares, but like how do we like be all in with ourselves, respect and, and see each other for who we are? Because when we get that right, everything falls into place. And every time, every culture, every team, every collective that authentically has storytelling as part of their DNA, everything else just works. So anyways, I'm working with this team and this guy who works for Frank comes up to me. His name's Ryan. He's a little bit younger. And he goes, Ben, I don't think I could like get into this with y'all. I'm like, why? He goes, um, I don't think I could like share my story. I'm like, why? He goes, because of Frank. I'm like, why? He goes, well, yeah, Frank. And he starts to describe Frank, who I like in, in his boss. And Frank's like this big guy, he, like wears a coat. He looks, he looks the part, probably like 6'3". You know, 
And he starts to describe Frank as kind of like this real kind of hardcore boss. He's like, I'm just a number to this guy. He's always asking me for my forecast. He's just going off, right? And I don't want to placate him. You know, I like Frank. I didn't want to say, well, listen, I, I get it. So I'm like, um, hey, man, I respect where you're coming from, Ryan. If there's any, you know, let me know, whatever comes up. Because part of the work that I do with teens is we help everybody share their stories, like their real stories. Because if you, if you learn how to share your own story, it uncorks people, right? Anyways, some days go by and I'm working with them and um, um, I culminate an actual workshop that I do with everybody like being able to share their stories with each other. Right. And at the end of this, this time I spent working with this guy, Frank's team, Ryan, we're all, we have this big group with like 30 of everybody that works for Frank. Ryan goes, Hey guys, I have something to share with you all. I'm like, what's up? And he comes up, stands up in front of this group and he goes, I want everybody here to know something. I'm like looking at him. And he goes, I've always hated working for Frank. <laughs> but, but nobody in that room's laughing. And he starts to just right. Frank. Frank's sitting there in the corner. I was like this. And he goes, and he starts to go off. Frank, you're like a bully. He's like, Frank, look at you over there. You're always asking me for like my forecast. First of all, where's your forecast? All right. He's going off. He's like, my wife was sick. Larry says, my wife was sick. And you're calling me for my like forecast. Like, and he's going off and off. And then he goes like this. And then his kind of shoulders drop and his tone, just everything changes. And he goes, but I want you all to know something. Part of the last few days, I was alone with Frank and I was forced, you know, we were forced to share our stories, like where we come from. And he goes, I want you all to know that I heard Frank's story. And he looks over at Frank and in front of everybody goes, Frank, after hearing your story, brother, I love you and I will run through walls for you. And he walks over and gives Frank a big ass hug, walks back over here and he goes, I learned a really valuable lesson from that. And now everybody in the room is just kind of like jaws drop. He goes, you know, part of my being locked up with Frank, you know, maybe it wasn't on Frank. I never took the time to understand his story. Yeah. And I just, what it reminds me of, and then by the way, Frank stands up and goes, I bet you all want to hear my story now. And he in front of this entire group shares a story about this traumas he went through growing up in like foster homes and being moved around and growing up in the East Coast. And even in the middle of the winter, he didn't even have a coat to wear. And he goes, so if any of you want to know why I'm locked up and I'm always holding on tight to the steering wheel, now you know, you're informed, you know where I'm coming from. And now you go work with me. And I watched this like coming of age of people that were like walls up for each other towards each other to wanting to like run through walls for each other. Right. And I just realized that there's this way, this mechanism, this, this technology that we've had for thousands of years that make us human species tick. It's like the, it's like the antidote to being scared, to not showing up to judging each other, to putting up walls for each other. And there's this way that we could deeply connect, want to take off the shirts off our backs for each other. And I watched it happen within minutes. And I just think about how we knock that out of corporate culture for all the handbooks and playbooks, which are linear and superficial and just lame and insufficient. And Edith, I hope that helps uh, your question. And so Ben, when you're, um, when you're actually, you know, in this 
uh, and training and coaching these companies? Because, I mean, you've stepped into some pretty significant companies, you know, like Oracle and Salesforce and HP, and you and I have both worked in these environments. And we know, we know how tough it is, um, you know, to, to actually open up this space of vulnerability. So when you go in, are you, are you demanding that this happens from the top down or do you get people to, to sign up for this program to help them move, you know, their sales department forward and to, and to become a better team together and magic happens inside there. Cause I I could see a lot of people if they knew what actually happened in there would be a little resistant to being that vulnerable in that space. So how does that work? Man, that's such a good one. I don't know. I'm confused. Like, cause I don't know the answer to that because I know at its purest form that we're hardwired to be democratic and that change does not start at the top. It starts at the bottom. It does. That's how we're wired. It's how all species, the human species was designed to collaborate together. And, and yet I know that our so-called leadership is not investing and we're, our leaders are not all in with our people. Yeah. Right. Well, like I'm, I'm like a grassroots guy. I come from the other side of the tracks like you. So like, I want to help the 99%. I don't want to help if, if I'm going to become clean with y'all. I don't want to help a bunch of white men make more money. Right. I don't. What I do care about is creating a world which is a little bit more connected and people feel like their lives matter and they show up at work that, and feel like they're part of something. I believe that everybody, like it's a human it's a human right to feel connected to what we do for a living and companies are not investing in that because leaders are not all in with their people. Like I had this conversation with you, so I don't know the answer to that. I have to believe in my soul that change doesn't have to start at the top, but I know our so-called leaders, we need to like usher them, like we need to vote these political leaders out. Yeah. And I think that the most inspiring people that I've seen in my adult lifetime were the kids from the Parkland shooting. Yeah, that high school shooting when those kids went to Washington DC and let it rip they showed me the biggest courage and they created a movement they did and that movement's going to take form right but it wasn't our people that we've elected um, that said one of the most inspiring leaders I know I'm, I'm doing a series with as you know my dear friend and he's a mentor to me his name's Barry Sarawine ran sales for North America for Tableau. Everybody's talking about Tableau and there's a, you know, they just got, you know, acquired from by Salesforce, but there's so much more to that story. What made them so attractive? And I remember well, 15 billion made it. Yeah, up. And it's not even about the $15 billion. Cause you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, you know, I, I spent a handful of years working with him. And I remember when we started this work, he said, um, this is a really interesting story. May I? Yeah, go for it. So Barry, found my book and we started to talk about my book and we just had a conversation one day. And I was like, Barry, and he goes, Ben, can you come speak at our national sales kickoff? I go, no, I don't want to do that. I hate that. And, and the only reason I hate that is because A, I hate flying and B, I hate speaking in front of groups because I'm insecure and shy. Anyway, but I do it. Why you do workshops for a living, but we'll tackle that later. <laughs> right. And uh, I said, Barry, you have to come to one of my public workshops and check it out. That's my demo. Like come experience it. And he finally does. And then after he does, he went dark on me for a little bit. And I was like, oh shit, maybe like he wasn't into this. And then we connect. I don't know if it was weeks or whatever later. He's like, Ben, I've really been processing a lot. I'm like, what? He goes, you know something? 
I almost wanted to go dark on you because I have to really, I had to really decide, am I going to bring this into my company? Because are people going to think I'm weird because this is touchy feeling, like really, right? Empathy, cooperation, reciprocity, listening, love. He goes, I have a really, I had to really think about this. And he goes, but then there was a moment where I was like, you know, those moments we have this dissonance with yourself, this like cognitive dissonance where you're like, what am I signing up for? What's safe or the risk, right? And he goes, what would people think of me if I brought in, if I focused our business on this thing that's a little bit different than the playbooks? And he goes, I, there's always something that governed me. And he goes, we hire people with a big heart. So like Barry's operating system as a leader was focused around people that have big hearts. And he goes, this was congruent with that. So once I just realized that, I said, I'm going to double down, triple down on my belief system and not sign up for the bullshit, the superficial stuff. But what it makes me think about is this. How many berries are there in the world? Right. And, and here's the dirty little secret. All this soft stuff out there is not in conflict with making a bunch of dough. In fact, it's the fuel to go make dough. And it's a dirty little secret. And most to make dough together. Yeah, but like, what if that doesn't matter? Like, right. But I mean, just, just, and then also build something together. How about that? I mean, we have a core, core, one of our core human needs out of the six is to contribute. Well, if we could feed the soul of everybody, you know, by having them open up like what you teach in the workshops and, and really feed their own soul, but then connect and feed the souls around them. I mean, they're building an organization, which is what I believe uh, from what I know of Barry's story, just talking to the both of you is, is really just, oh my gosh, building that organization and that culture to that level. But they were all in together. You know, I mean, they, that was all in, they were all in for all themselves in. and for the person sitting next to them and for the greater good. And that's what I think is missing. Yeah, and then fostered an environment where he said, I'm going to put into practice and design a system and culture and rituals and practices around being all in. And if I trust it, then it will just happen. If I build it, it will come. Dude, I just watched Field of Dreams on Sunday. I, I, watched, I watched it again, too. <laughs> so check this out. So I, I lost my father last year. And that, like, movie gets to the heart of some oh, yeah. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I was but I love that movie and I was so scared to watch it because I saw it and I flipped it on and I kind of cringed. I was by myself Sunday afternoon. I was like, this is going to make me weep and I'm going to lose my shit because um, it'd be the first time after losing my father. Um, anyways, I watched it. But what was interesting was something else. I, I bawled through the entire thing. I, I turned it on with like 10 minutes into it so I caught like virtually the entire movie. I was bawling like every scene along the way, like crying, you know that kind of cry where you're like embarrassed, like are people hearing me like snotting and making noise, like weird noises? I'm fully bawling, I'm all by myself, but what I realized what was making me bawl was this, and this has to do with being all in. Like that movie was about listening to the voices and wherever those voices come from, they might be weird. They might be strange. They might be new agey. They might come from your gut. You might not be able to put an ROI in around it, but you follow that. It's a dream. It's imagination. It's being human and it's following a dream. And he goes out and builds that baseball field in the middle of Iowa and he's losing his house. They're foreclosing on his house. He has a family. So nobody has to say, well, you know, whatever. He has no base salary. 
You know, he's losing his house. He has a young daughter. He's a young family and he's doing everything against all odds because he's following his imagination. And, and that was making me cry because I was like, I know for me, I come spending probably the first half of my life not following my dream, my right, imagination, right. and shoving that aside. And I, I know that for running me- from and not running toward. Yeah. And I'm like, life is short. What if I have half my life yet left? I want to go live and follow the dreams, the imaginations. And I want my daughters, more importantly, to see that and role model that so they could go explore life to its fullest because it's like everybody's human rights. And if I could do that, hopefully can sh- like the most magical things just tend to happen. And then maybe like if other leaders who run these organizations can foster the environments and invest in their people to be all in, like this is why we tell stories, by the way. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Because stories are the vehicle to help spread our imagination. And it's what we did 7,000 years ago when we left Africa and migrated through the Middle East and started to spread and created these, you know, um, these cultures and environments together. And we started to build political, you know, social, you know, city states and all these things and grow as a species. 70,000 years ago, you went to bet on the human. Right. The chimpanzee would have beat us out, you know, a hundred out of a hundred times. But what gave us the ability to work together in large numbers is the ability to, to empathize and have each other's backs. Right. But other species do that. Right. Do that. Right. right. It's a law of the jungle. Right? Yeah. Birds do that. So why are birds rule the planet right now? Well, what we actually have too is the ability to imagine things, to take in things out of the world, to pick up using our sensory perception systems that don't come in, and we can formulate ideas that don't exist. That's what really separates us. Yeah. And I feel like businesses have undermined an awareness of that. And we're not fostering creativity, imagination, what it's like to be human. They're shoving it out of our school system. When our kids, you know, in the educational system, you know, it's all about math, reading science. And there's, you know, when the budget cuts, what goes first, you know, you know, um, arts, humanities. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're shoving around the shoving aside what it means to be human. And the thing that really makes me mad is if we do that, what we're actually telling people is to not be all in. Right. Amen, brother. And with that, we're out of time. Can you believe that? Holy smokes, that went fast. So, um, so super quick while we bring Jackson and, um, and uh, Monica back. Uh, So with, with that, the interesting um, thing is that not only do you have workshops and those of you that want to find out more about Ben and his workshops at story leaders, his book is up there, uh, storyleaders.com. But um, uh, you're actually doing uh, these, uh, these all in leadership uh, uh, roundtables, if you will, where leaders can get together and really strategize together of how they can be less fearful about being all in and getting their people all in. So I think the first one is kicking off in San Francisco, right? In a few weeks. Yeah. September 5th in San Francisco, invitation only. We're trying to keep these intimate conversations and it's just to shine a light on how these businesses can think about doing business better, differently, and more all in. And it's just a dialogue. If we can shine a light on that, I think it'll help people's lives. Yeah, right on. And uh, we'll announce our, we have three winners this week. We'll announce in just a couple of minutes. So uh, Monica, real quick, what did you take from, uh, from Ben on this? You know, uh, 
I really appreciate your voice on how building a culture and building your team is important to success and growing your company. And I 100% agree. If your team and culture is not right on, then you're not going to have much growth in your company. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, somebody mentioned about hard work and determination, which I think we're all willing to give as long as we're all in, but, but at some point then it doesn't feel as hard work if we're all in together. Uh, You know, that's what I got out of it too. And then Jackson, how about for you? Uh, I would say the fear the fear that he talked about of being all in, I feel like that's a big thing that people just, you know, go, Oh, everyone, you know, has fear, you know, and they don't really think about like, well, what if we push past that fear? What if we, you know, go all in? What if we follow that dream? What if we listen to those voices? What if we build the field? You know, what if we just build the field and they'll come, you know, just like in the movie. And I think the reason that resonant is just, it's been a recent, because I'll listen to podcasts and stuff on the side and I heard one recently where they talked about something similar. Uh, Bill Hader on the uh, Dak Shepard podcast had talked about anxiety. And he's like, I grew up with anxiety and it was really hard for me. And he never even dreamed of becoming an actor. And now, you know, he's like one of the, like a huge comedic actor. He's been in like train wreck and all that stuff. And he, he talked about having that anxiety, like being on SNL. He got there as a writer. And then Lauren Michaels was like, hey, because he would always just be like, you know, so tight and tense. And I'm probably not doing his story justice. But Lauren Michaels was like, hey, you're fine. You're funny. Breathe. You're here for a while. Like, I'm not getting rid of you. And he finally was like, be you. We pay you to be you. Be you. And... You know, he said he would have panic attacks and things like that. And finally, the thing that you know, started to help him break through that fear was just um, the guy from the Big Lebowski, uh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges came and just put his arm around him and was like, hey, man. He's like, anxiety is not your enemy. Quit pushing it away. Lean into it. It's your buddy. Put your <laughs> arm around it. And he's like, and it, you know, he's like, and then it also coming from Jeff Bridges helps because it sounds like the dude is giving you advice and you know and but you know just and that's something that I ever since I heard that podcast you know that changed my perspective of every time I get on stage and I'm like you know because recently I've just been doing improv so it's all on the spot and I'm always I'll get up there I'll be like shit you know (laughs) and it's basically like what's next you know and you have to come up with it and that's that anxiety that's that fear but when when I'm all in that's when people notice when you're all in, when you go all in, you commit, you just 100% abandon fear, not necessarily abandon it, but like Jeff Bridges said, put your arm around it and lean into it, you know, just go for it. And, you know, and I think that applies everywhere. Just yeah, like and, you said, build yeah, the field and they will come. We didn't even get a chance to talk about it, but uh, this, this, your customers feel it, you know, your, your people feel it, uh, vendors and partners feel it, like your family feels it, you know, when, when we all can get mm-hmm. that. So Ben, thank you so much again, real quick, before we let you go, uh, we have three winners today. Uh, uh, for- I got them. Uh, Jim, oh. Jim Catalano, uh, Jessica Phillips and Cecilia uh, Rallo. Rollo or Rollo? Yeah, is it Rollo or Rollo? So congrats to those winners. You'll be getting a Starbucks gift card. Now, for everybody that was on today, your assignment is to make sure that you share the one thing that you learned today that was uh, maybe touched you, was inspirational, but share that with somebody that you care about. And please 
make sure that um, you really, 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 you know, somebody you care about, you share that or what it meant to you, what you learned from Ben today, what you heard today that really inspired you and help somebody else out. That's our mission here is to pass it, you know, pay it forward uh, one person at a time. So when you have that cup of coffee, maybe you're sitting around the dinner table tonight, whatever it is, please share what you learned today. And Ben, I just want to thank you so much for inspiring us, uh, being vulnerable, telling your story and, and really going, we could have done this for three hours, I think. So, <laughs> so we'll definitely have to have you back on and go to another chapter of this. And what did you think? Well, first of all, you're welcome, and I love you. And every time we talk, I get inspired, brother. Thank you. Thank and, you so much. Yeah, so. All uh, right. So uh, with that being said, uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. We have David uh, Fisher on for the next episode, and he's going to really talk about um, uh, really humanizing uh, the environment around you and making it so it's better to not just think about all social media, but maybe social media and humans and digital technology can all work together. So please don't miss that episode uh, next week. And uh, Jackson, have a good vacation. And uh, for the rest of you, we'll see you online. And don't forget to go to Ben's website. We're going to make sure all of his links, all of his social are on the uh, show notes and you will all get that. And we'll see you on the next episode and we'll see you online. Take care, everybody. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.